Good morning. My name is Kathy, and I serve here at Mercy Hill in Celebrate Recovery. This morning's scripture reading is from John 5, verse 19 to 25. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you also for this great nation where we're allowed to worship you freely. And Father, we ask that um, you reveal yourself to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit through Tommy and his teaching. Open our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad to see you guys here today. Now I'm on. Good morning. Glad to see you guys here today. Happy Fourth of July to you. We are uh, we are glad that you guys have uh, chosen to be with us here this morning. It is always a great time to come and worship God with you guys, and so we really are glad you are here uh, today. Uh, I have a, we have a. Uh, um, a special uh, announcement, um, something that many of you guys probably are already aware of. Uh, this, uh, over the last several several months, the elders of the church um, have uh, had determined that it was time for us to expand the elder board. Um, one of our elders, uh, Jeff Lickey from Lake Country, had stepped down and is on sabbatical for one year. We'll probably be returning um, if the Lord leads uh, after a year. Um, and so we've added uh, two new elders this year. Um, we went through the process. We had an opportunity to get um, feedback from you all. And uh, we really very much appreciated that. Uh, and so we are installing uh, two, uh, two new elders. Um, just to give you an idea of how Mercy Hill Church works, Mercy Hill Church is a church that is uh, uh, elder-led. Um, we do not have um, someone who's been established as the executive pastor or the or the, or the head pastor, or anything along those lines. We have a board of elders who serve um, in um, plurality and equality of leadership. And our goal is to find the, um, find the direction, the will, um, the, uh, the mind of our senior pastor, Jesus Christ. 
Uh, Mercy Hill Church is led by Christ, and it is the determination of the elders that is um, uh, ultimately about what Jesus wants us to do and where Jesus wants us to go. And so um, that is uh, that is how we are we are led. And so in our goal always in the establishment of elders is not about um, talent. It's not about organization. It's not necessarily about skill, but it's about a heart that is for Jesus Christ, that pursues him, that wants to know what he was thinking and lead us in that direction. And so that's always very high on our list of, um, of candidates for the position. And this year we are blessed because we believe that God has brought to our congregation um, men just like that. Um, the first individual is a gentleman by the name of Christian Nimmo. Many of you would not be, probably don't know him. He's uh, at our location in Rock County. Uh, he and his wife have been a part of the church there for nearly three years. Um, they've walked alongside Josh in really some deep ways, and so we're blessed to have them in place. Uh, the second elder being placed is here in Bayview. Many of you know him, um, Jesse Matthews. Uh, Jesse and Darren have been a part of our congregation uh, for three years. I've known Jesse for a lot, lot of years more than that. Um, I think we're at 20, something along those lines. Um, and uh, Jesse and Darren are, uh, are two people whose hearts are to pursue God, to know his voice, to hear from him. And so um, what I'd like to do is invite them to come on up, invite any of the other elders and their wives who are here um, to lay hands and pray um, for them. Um, I think we are uh, really blessed as a congregation with leaders who um, pursue Jesus and care for people. One of the reasons why I think uh, Jesse and Darren are well-suited for this is, as I said, they search after the heart of God, um, but even more than that, they pastor people. And that's really what this is about. And so I'd like to invite you guys to stand with us, um, pray with us, maybe extend your hands this direction as we uh, pray God's blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you um, humbly, knowing that you have called us, uh, each one of us, to serve in, in your church in various ways. There's so many different ways in which you want to use us, but Father, you call some of us to serve as elders, um, those who've been entrusted with the care of your church, those who've been entrusted with the truth of your word. And so, Father, we come before you right now, first and foremost, to thank you for bringing uh, into this congregation um, Jesse and Christian and their wives. And Lord, we thank you that you have gifted them, that you have called them, that you have equipped them to serve in this capacity. We ask, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, you would give them direction, you would give them your word, and that, Father, as they minister, um, uh, you would, by your spirit, transform lives. Father, we thank you for the church you've given us, for the people that you have put in place. And we just ask, Father, that you would continue to pour out your spirit in powerful ways. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. This morning we are continuing our series in the book of John. Now, even as I say that, I, I want to remind you of the fact that this is a continuation. Um, so we are continuing on, working our way through, continuing the story of, of Jesus that is revealed by John. And the reason why I emphasize that um, specifically is because what we talked about last week leads into our conversation this week. These aren't separate ideas, and, and it's important to keep these tied, particularly this week. 
Because we see Jesus Christ addressing something and transitioning from a very, uh, a very spectacular event to probably an even more important idea. These are connected, and it's important for us to realize that they're connected. So if you remember, last week was the story of the spectacular healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. It's the, it's the story of how Jesus Christ walks up to this pool where it is surrounded by five colonnades. Under those colonnades are a multitude, the Bible says, of those who are lame, those who are crippled, those who are invalids. And Jesus walks through that crowd up to a specific man who has been crippled for 38 years. A man who has been there because, because the, the, the legend, the idea is that when the waters are stirred, the first person to get into that pool will be healed. That man has been laying there and been waiting for that healing. Jesus walks up to the man and says, do you want to be healed? And he says, and he, and he says sir, I, I have no one who's going to bring me in. And as I try to get in, Someone will always get there before me, and so I can't be healed. That really is, as I read that story, it, it, and you think about it, it's easy to read over that, but what, what, a, um, what a sad commentary, what a, what, a, what, a, what a pathetic expression. He is laying there with such little hope. I mean, he desperately wants to be healed, but even as he lays there, he realizes there's not much chance of that happening. And so Jesus looks at him and says, take up your bed and walk. I, I love the declaration. I love, I love the way it plays out because it shows the confidence that Jesus Christ has that he will be healed. There's no question in his mind that he will be healed. And so he says, take up your bed and walk, and he does. A spectacular healing, but as we discovered last week as we talked about this, probably the most stunning event recorded by John about this event is the conversation that the, that the Pharisees, that the Jews have with the man who was healed. Because if you remember, what were they fixated on? They, they weren't focused in on the fact that this man who had been crippled for 38 years got up, but what they were fixated on was the fact that he took up his bed on the Sabbath day. And so they asked him, why'd you do that? Well, the man who healed me told me to. Their issue was the fact that the man acted on the Sabbath. And so ultimately they confront Jesus on this act and say that, that, was, that, that, that how wrong it was that the man would do something like that because it violated the Sabbath rest day to pick up his bed. What we see then is Jesus Christ... Um, explaining to the Jews, to the Pharisees, that this is an act of God. Remember what, what the Pharisees have been doing is the Pharisees have been, in their mind, protecting the holiness of God. God doesn't want us working on this day. God doesn't want us working on this day. God doesn't want us working on this day. And Jesus said, listen, it wasn't just me saying something. It wasn't that man picking up something. It was the Father. It was God and me working on the Sabbath. 
In fact, the words he uses, he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. See, he, he, he literally kind of sticks it in their, in their face. He's saying, listen, you guys are here trying to defend the holiness of God, but you need to understand something. God is always working on the Sabbath. And I'm the one who is working in concert, hand in glove with God, and you're going to condemn me for this? This, is, this, this gets them angry. This, this ticks them off because they think that they're the ones who are in defense of God. And Jesus is saying, I am working with God on the Sabbath. And because he is repudiating their claim about the Sabbath by tying God to his actions and equating himself with God, John describes the situation like this and he says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only is he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now that's where we left the text last week. At this place in which, in which the, the, um, the Pharisees, the Jews, are so agitated that Jesus has tied God to his actions that they want to kill him. Immediately coming out of, that, uh, out of that declaration by John are the words of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said to them, in response to where they were at, in response to them being upset, to the point of wanting to kill Jesus for tying him to God and for, and for, for arguing with them about the concept of the Sabbath, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the, the son does likewise. Do you see what's taking place right now? Do you see, do you see what Jesus is doing? He, he stood up and, and he got them mad because he's saying, he's saying, what I'm doing, it's me and God are doing. I'm working in concert with him. I don't, we don't really care what you think about the Sabbath. I am working with God. And they got mad that he was saying that he was working with God and that he was equating himself to God. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't back off the claim, does he? What do we just read? He starts by saying, truly, truly. You see that through this text a few times. Truly, truly. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a um, linguistic or literary um, um, uh, attempt in that day and age to, to, to say, I want you to understand this is really, really, really true. And he says, I do nothing but what the Father shows me, what the Father does. He reiterates the fact that he is working in concert with God. That he and the Father are, are, are working together in all that he's doing. Now before I get too far into this, I want to remind you about something I think we've all experienced. You know how, you know how every great story, every great movie builds to the climax, builds to the apex, builds to the most important point. Every great story, every great book, every great movie gets you to this point where all of these events are coming and it's all coming together to reveal the big idea, right? 
Um, for those of you who um, didn't grow up in an Italian household, um, the greatest movie ever was The Godfather, right? And it all builds to, to settling with the five families, right? You guys remember that scene? Anybody, anybody you guys remember that, when that, all, the whole thing comes together? See, like for me, that's an emotional moment in time. But everything builds to that very moment. I want you to keep that in mind because as we follow this story, so often we do is we get very fixated on the, on, on the opening. But what's fascinating about the passage we're reading here in the fifth chapter of John is really the healing of that man is the beginning, the unfolding and we ultimately get to, to, to the most important moment, the most important idea. What all of this was meant to really reveal. Now in verse 19, as I said, it begins with this emphatic framing by Christ. Truly, truly. This is Jesus doubling down on what is angry in the Pharisees. Listen, there is no question, he says, the son can do nothing of his own accord but what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. First of all, I want to remind you that this is a commentary on the healing ministry of Jesus Christ, on the event that just took place. How does healing take place? How does healing come about? Jesus Christ walked through a crowd of invalids, of the crippled, of the lame, and went to this one man who had been crippled for 38 years. Why is that? Jesus tells us. Because he's doing exactly what the Father is telling him to do. Going exactly where the Father tells him to go. Is walking step in step, hand in glove, in concert with the Father. He knew what the Father was doing. And so he walked up to the man and said, do you want to be healed? And he said yes, and he just said, pick up your bed, you're going to walk. Why? Because he, he knew what the father was doing. He, he knew where the father was healing. I talked about this last week. It's such an important idea to learn as we talk about the concept of being healed. Every time Jesus prayed for someone, they were healed. And, and he always prayed for someone that God was going to heal. In that, in, that, in that crowd of people who needed healing, he went to the one so that he could reveal the will of the Father in that healing. He knew what he was doing, and this is relevant. Because as we talked about last week, at the, at the core of, of healing ministries is the desire of individuals to hear the voice of the Father, to get close to the Father, to know the Father. But I want you to notice something here. When Jesus makes his de declaration, he doesn't relegate it simply to healing ministry. He, he doesn't say, the reason that man was healed is because, is because the son is always healing those that the father is healing. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't relegate his, his interaction with the father simply to this idea of healing. What does he specifically say? 
He specifically states in here that, what, that I don't, nothing I do is of my own accord. Nothing. Nothing I pray, nowhere I go is of my own accord, but everything I do, the Father shows me to do. What's really, what's really neat about that is one commentator said that this is actually kind of a, 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 a hidden uh, allegory, a hidden, uh, a hidden parable. That Jesus is kind of making reference to him growing up in a carpenter's home, apprentice to his father. And in the same way in which his father would show him how to build things, and he would do exactly that which his father was showing him, he's saying, this is exactly what Jesus Christ is saying here. Everything he did, the father showed him. Everything he did, the father is telling him, leading him, guiding him in everything. Now, for a lot of us, it's easy to get fixated on the idea that it rests only in the fact that Jesus Christ healed, that God showed him that, pointed out the one man who had been, been crippled for 38 years. He went to that specific man because he's hearing what the Father's saying. But Jesus expands this to everything. He does what the Father is doing. I want to remind you of why we talk about the power of the book of John. The power of the book of John is in the idea that John is revealing to us the nature of who Jesus Christ is. To set for us an example of of what he did, how he interacts with us, how we're to follow him. The call of the Christian is the follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. To be little Christ. And so Jesus sets for us in this an example for our living. Everything I do, the Father shows me to do. Everything I do, the Father shows me to do. I don't do anything that the Father's not doing. Are you getting this? You understand what I'm trying to emphasize here? Jesus sets the example that he understands what the Father is saying, what the Father is doing, what the Father is commanding, where the Father is going, and that's where Jesus goes, and that's the example we're supposed to follow as as believers in Jesus Christ. This is a deep challenge for us because I think many of us wrestle with that. Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. We cannot live separated from that declaration, but we have to embrace it as the pattern for our gospel living. The whole idea of being a Christian is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And this is the pattern he establishes for us. He does what he sees the Father doing. For many of us, we wrestle with that. We, we tend to do our thing. And we ask God to bless it. This is something that was a huge challenge for me as I was involved in ministry years and years and years ago. I'll never forget it. I was... I was I was deeply involved in a growing ministry. We had a lot of stuff going on. I was working 60, 70 hour work weeks. I had my hands in every little ministry of the church. I was involved in starting all new ministries. I had a large youth group going. I was over the staff. I was executive director of a daycare. I was, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. Working, 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 working. You know why? Because I'm a minister of the gospel and I need to build God's kingdom. 
And I remember coming across a specific author, a man by the name of Henry Blackaby, and he'd written this book entitled Experiencing God. And, and it was kind of like, kind of going through, and we were reading this book, and I remember coming across a concept in the book that could have been written in Chinese. And he said, we need to stop doing and asking God to bless what we're doing and find out what God is doing and get involved in that. And I swear to you, I mean, in that moment, it could have been written in Chinese and made more sense to me. I, I literally had no idea what that meant. All I ever understood was go about and do what you need to do and then just pray that God blesses whatever it is you're doing. And what I realized is what I was missing was the relationship with the Father. What I was missing was, what I basically had my fixation on was the doing, and I, and I kind of wanted to pull God into what I was doing instead of living in, in concert with the Father, knowing the Father's heart, being with him, understanding him and what he was doing. And as a result, I would find myself all the time very separated from a spiritual relationship with God and very empty in my own spirit. Because I was fixated on the doing as, it, as, as opposed to what the Father was doing. For a lot of us, we have to realize that we spend so much time trying to get God to bless what we are doing instead of discovering what God is doing and walk alongside with him. Now, The rub for most of us in this conversation is, how do I know what God is doing? Even as I just said what I said, even as I told you that that the, the call for the believer is not to do and then ask God to bless, but to figure out what God is doing and see him bless not just what is happening, but you through it. Even as I say that, and most of you sit there and say, yeah, that's the way to do it. That, that's the way to live your life. But even as I said it, I'm sure many of you were like, yeah, but how do I know what God is doing? That really is the art of Christian living. That really is, I think, the deep challenge of Christian living. And what most of us Christians miss out on. And the reason for that is because there's, there's really two important, simple first-level Christian practices, disciplines that are meant to bring about this, this coordination between father and child that many of us miss, many of us lose sight of really quickly in our Christian walk. The first is this. What has God already said he's doing? Like for many of us, we, we struggle with this. We, we sit and we go, God, what are you doing? God, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to be involved in? God, God, what are you working on? God, God, where should I be? And we kind of sit there and we're like trying to find it and figure it out and try and get it down. And, and we, we just don't hear the voice, right? And we sit and we think, wouldn't it be great if he, just, if he could just like send me an email <laughs> and just say, today you're going to do this. Or, or maybe a letter. 
Or wouldn't it be great if God had taken the time to write a book that told you what he's doing and what he wants you to do? Right? Wouldn't that be great? Do you know he did that? It's fascinating how often I have conversations with people and they're so frustrated because they don't know what God wants them to do and they can't figure out where God wants them to go. And as I have conversations with them, I realize you're already not doing what he's told you to do. I had this conversation with someone recently, just a few weeks ago, and, and he was just kind of lamenting his, his entire Christian walk. He'd been a Christian forever and for a long time. And, and he's like, I've read books and I've studied and I've done this and I've done that. But I almost never hear God speaking to me and giving me direction. I hear all these people talking about this intimate relationship and how God speaks to them and God talks to them and God gives them direction. But I never get that from, it, from him. And I know this person well enough to know the life that they live. And I, and I looked at him and I said, the problem is, he's already told you a bunch of things to do, and you don't want to do them. It's clearly in his word. This is somebody who doesn't like going to church. He spent his whole life interacting with people and found Christians to be, be a pain in the neck and be, not want to be around them, and they're dumb, and they're this, and I don't like listening to the guy preach, and I don't want to do, and I, so he spends almost no time at church, ever. For years. And then he goes, God never speaks to me. Well, duh. See, that's just one person, but we can all kind of walk through this because we all have these things in the Word of God that, that God's telling you what to do, God's telling you where to go, God's telling you how to live your life. And then you sit there and you refuse to do those, and then you sit and go, God, God, speak to me. Can you imagine the frustration and, uh, from God when somebody does that? And he's like, I've already spoken to you and you're ignoring me. Right? So for many of us, we have to look at this and we have to say, what is God doing that I can be a part of? What does he tell us that he is doing? Let me ask you this question. Is God building his church? Are you? Is God binding up the brokenhearted. Are you? Is God bringing salvation to those who are lost? Are you? See, each one of us, as we walk through Scripture, realize that God is doing something because he's describing what he's doing and then he calls us to work in coordination with that. And I'm here to tell you, if you're not already doing that, he doesn't have a whole lot more to say to you after that. Because most of us want this spectacular voice from God to tell us what to say when we're ignoring what he's already said. Now even in that, even that desire to have this spectacular voice from God speak to us, there is a discipline that is required. One of the things that's so fascinating about the ministry of Jesus Christ as he goes through the, the book of John 
is how often he talks about the idea that he does what the Father tells him to do and how often he withdraws from the crowd. How often he withdraws from the crowd to hear what the Father is saying. You have to take time to listen. Christ, throughout the book of John, is consistently withdrawing to get alone with the Father. This really was my challenge when I was confronted with the words of Blackaby. I was too busy to take time to listen. I was too engaged in my doing than I was in being intimate with the Father. I don't want to live anymore in a, in a way in which um, I do and then ask him to bless what I'm doing. I want to be a part of what he's doing. Now, as I say that, the, the, the act of listening to the Father requires us to spend time alone with God. Spend time in his presence. Spend time in worship. Spend time hearing from him. And what ends up happening out of that is many of us, even when we, even when we, we exercise that practice, even when we choose to do that, we don't step out in faith and act on it. There's so many of us who don't take the time to just hear what he's saying, hear what he's speaking to us, and then act on that. That's what I see Jesus Christ doing. I hear what the Father is saying, and now I go and do it. It's really easy for us to examine our lives and look at it and say, am I spending time with the Father? Am I hearing from him? The starting point is read the word as he directs you. Read the word as he tells us where to go and what to do. But then spend time in his presence. Apart from all of the noise, apart from all of the junk. You see, the the most important point of this entire conversation that Jesus Christ is having is the intimacy he has with the Father. For many of us, we um, can get fixated on the acts. We can get fixated on the healing. We can get fixated on all those different things. When ultimately what he really wants is for us to know him in deeper and deeper ways. God has something for each one of us. God has a life for each one of us that is so beyond anything we can build for ourselves. But it requires us being faithful to his word and being faithful to being in his presence. I think each one of us is challenged in deep ways by the life that Jesus Christ led. And I think ultimately that's where we end up. Now as we go further into the passage and we continue this next week, you're going to begin to see what God does in each one of us as a result of that. But the starting point has to be an obedience to his word and an intimacy with the Father. Think this morning 
about the life you live. How much of what you do is you doing, and how much of what you do is you being led by the hand of God and by the Spirit of God. Every single day you have the opportunity to have something spectacular take place. One of the reasons why one of the reasons why we as Christians individually and we as the church corporately find ourselves really impotent in our faith is because we didn't receive in ways and then step out in ways. Receive in ways that were intimate to the Father and step out in ways that were faith-filled. One of the reasons why the first century church changed the world was because that's the interaction they had with God. They heard from him. They received from him. And they acted in deep ways because it was the most important thing in their lives. How important is the intimacy with the Father for you? How much time do you spend hearing from him?